we, we've been speaking uh, about God as a name. And God's name is not a label. In other words, God walks through the airport and you say, God, um, he, he doesn't turn around and say, that's my name. We understand that um, God's name does not just reflect as we understand a label, but it describes to us who he is. In other words, as God reveals his name, he is revealing to us the personhood of who he is through his name. That's actually well said. So in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, um, we're going to read together. Um, and I would love for us all to read this. If I can get a little bit more volume, guys, that would be great. The Lord Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh, come on. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Okay, here's a hard one. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. We go like, he does what? The best way I can break it down to you is that you and I know that the decisions that our parents and grandparents have made has put us in a position that we have got to live it out. In other words, my family uh, immigrated from uh, South Africa to the United States 23 years ago. My children's children will be living in this wonderful land because of the choices that I have made. In other words, that the decisions that you make, you've got to remember the effects and the consequences of those things will play out not only in your children, but in their children. But here is it where it sounds really unfair. But it is a, it is a, a, a law that governs the earth that as we plant good seeds in our children, we will see those good seeds flourish in generations and generations to come. So it's not only the, the, the negative things, but God is literally speaking of the consequences of things. And last week we, we spoke about the fact that God is compassionate, which in the, the original text talks about a mother's womb. Last week we explained that as a mother cannot forget, a mother has a primal instinct uh, over the children that she's given birth to. So God says, can a mother ever forget her own? Even if you could, I can never forget you. In other words, God's response to you as he looks to you this morning is not one of you're a stranger and you live out in the world. It's the same primal instinct of love that a mother has for her own. The second thing that God, we said that God says, I am gracious. And when, while compassionate is a feeling, gracious is an act. Let me explain. In the Old Testament, Bible says if somebody owes you money, that you can take their cloak almost as a bond until they pay back what they owe you. But this is what God says. But when it's nighttime, be gracious Give them their cloak. How else are they going to give warm at night? Then in the morning when the sun rises, you can take the cloak back as surety of your payment. In other words, gracious always outruns fair. 
In other words, gracious steps in because it is the thing to do if the roles were switched. So God, even though we deserve punishment, is gracious towards us. He's gracious to how he stands in for us. And gracious is such a beautiful example of a God that stands in the gap of what we deserve and the kindness of how he deals with what we deserve. But today we're going to talk about God is slow to anger. God is slow to anger. Can you just say with me, God is slow to anger. I don't know about you, but that excites me big time. That God is slow to anger. I am so thankful because in the Hebrew, there is a certain word that means long nostrils. Long nostrils. Isn't that comical? That God, when I read it, I go like, oh, no, Pinocchio. But that's not what it means. Long nostrils. And this is how the Bible commentator explained. He says that when human beings lose their temper, they kind of puff themselves up with rage. You know, you've seen enough Karens on TikTok. You know what I mean? They just puff themselves up with rage, and then they're going to unload and their nostrils are flaring like a, a elephant that's protecting territory, right? In other words, you can see there's deep anger. But it says God has long nostrils. In other words, it takes a very long time for the nostrils of God to flare. Now, what makes this so beautiful is that scripture says in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 29, people with understanding control their anger. A hot tempered shows great foolishness. Proverbs 16, 32, better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control that conquer a city. Now, now what he talks about, he, he's not saying that God doesn't feel the emotion of disappointment and anger. It says that God has a long control before he releases. In other words, God doesn't have a short fuse. Oh, I've got to tell you a story. Uh, we, we, had, we, we had church in the building across the street many years ago, and we just put a new carpet in, and I had this wonderful uh, idea. Ideas are always wonderful in your head. I had this wonderful idea to talk about that God is slow to anger, right? So I, I bought PVC pipe, I p uh, painted it black, uh, it looked like a, you know, like fire bangs that they use in the military, and I got a, a fire, a, a cannon fuse, and it's long, and so I said to them, light it, and I started walking around the auditorium, and people are seeing this cannon fuse burn, and they don't know what the heck I've got in my hand. But what was really um, so funny is what I didn't realize, the cannon fuse doesn't evaporate, it turns into hot lava. And after a while, the carpet starts to smoke. And as I look back, I melted the carpet right where I walked in church all along. But, but what was so amazing is whenever I brought this, what they didn't think is going to explode close to your faces. Everybody was, was pulling back, uh, anticipating the, the explosion going to be in their row. Man, I should have done it this morning. It would have been great. But I want you to know that, that many of us have been raised in an environment 
when you talk about God, it feels like somebody has got a hell and a hand basket and they put it in front of your face and they remind you, if you don't eat your spinach, you're going to burn in hell. If you don't go to your room and brush your teeth, you're going to burn in hell. Come on, how many of you know the threat of hell has been used over you so often that whenever you think of God, you think of God as somebody whose prime purpose it is to populate hell for his own entertainment. I want to say this. Can I just speak to parents? Parents, never try to use hell and heaven as a way to discipline your children or to get them to do what you want them to do. But it creates a lasting imprint of them, of a God that says, I am slow to anger. It's his desire for none of us to perish. He, he, he doesn't sit there and can't wait to fill this place of damnation. God's desire, that's why he sent his son, because he loves us so, so very much. So what is really interesting is that the basic idea is that God does get angry, but it takes a very long time. But when he does... There is a God that, Bible says, it is awful to fall in the hands of a living God. Now, there is another translation. It's called the Targum. It's in Aramaic. That was the, the, the root language of the Old Testament. Listen how beautiful Exodus 34 verse 6 is. God is patient. The one who makes anger distant and brings compassion near. I'm going to read it again. God is patient. The one who makes anger distant and bring compassion near. Naji, you can come and, and play him. I'm going to um, wrap this around. You know, it's so interesting. My parents came to visit in the U.S. when my kids were very small. I come from a culture um, that taught us to discipline our children, not abuse them, but discipline them. For me, sending them to the room and then waiting half an hour usually, that was most of the punishment because they sit up there and go like, oh dear God, what is going to happen? You know what I mean? And I stay away because I know the pain is greater waiting for punishment. But when my mom was here, I remember the kids did something and, and I sent them up. And then when I went upstairs, my mom's standing in front of the door. And she, she began to plead. No, 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 no. I'll cook for you. I'll cook for you. I'll wash your car. And in that moment, I was confused. I'm like, where were you when you were the one going up the stairs? Right? Because you were me. There was nobody in front of my door. You were the one storming in because my mom was the man. My mom was the dynamo. Good Lord. It goes quick from from infriction, infriction, infraction, that sounds like a disease, from infraction to punishment, my mom does it all in a split second, you feel the pain, then you know what you did wrong, that's how it was with her, and, and, and scripture says that God's nature, his love is to stand in the front door when his justice wants to show up. In other words, justice says this is wrong and it needs wrath 
punishment and there the love of God stands. Oh, church, that's why I love the scripture. The Bible says now in heaven, you and I have an advocate, a high priest, Jesus, that stands and he pleads for us. Every time we have an infraction, every time we stumble and fall, there is a high priest. Like the parable that the tree didn't show fruit and the, and the gardener says, take it out. And the, and, and the garden keeper says, no, 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 give me one more year. One more year. I'm going to cultivate. I, I'm going to clean it up. Give it one more year. Maybe just one more year. And I want you to know that the God that we serve is the give him one more year kind of God. He is slow to anger and he's rich in love. But then... There is a moment that our God is a God of wrath. Ooh, this is hard to preach on. Because to preach about the love of God is so easy because everybody believes in it. But have you ever heard people go like, oh God will never do that. He's a God of love. Yeah, I should have tried and tell my mom that you will never do that because you're a mom of love. Oh, come on now, parents. You know what I mean. There is a moment that I'm really going to show you how much I love you. Because in that moment, you've got to understand. As Hebrews says, it's fearful to fall in the hands of a living God. Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God is an honest judge. He is angry at the wicked. If a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. Oof. You know the word wrath, we find 600 times in the Bible. Wrath simply means bend and turn against. In other words, I, I, I love the word bend because bending simply means it is not the preferred posture to something. His preferred posture to us is love mercy compassion and grace but God says I will not be mocked there comes a time what a man so a man's gonna reap there comes a moment when God's mercy and grace is run out he says I will not plead with you forever and when that moment runs out he bends and then his justice shows up can I just say this when he loves he's all about mercy but when there's wrath, his wrath knows no mercy. No mercy. And you go like, thank you so much for making me excited. And then you tell me of this terrible wrath of God. Well, let me share with you a story. There is a story in the Bible of the city of Nineveh. You know it as Jonah in the belly of the whale. Now, Nineveh was an Assyrian empire. Nineveh was actually uh, the very capital of the Assyrian empire. And they were a violent nation. They were arch enemy with Israel. Archaeologists actually dug up what they call a library of the history of Nineveh. Scientific proven fact. The king of Nineveh in this library, this is what he said. He said, a pyramid of heads I reared in front of the city. Heads of their youth, heads of their old, their young, 
their children, even their babies, as a reminder of my wrath. His son says this, I flayed him, an enemy. His skin I spread upon the wall of the city while he was yet alive. Think, think through. Somebody being skinned alive. That same son said this, I pierced his chin with my keen dagger and through his jaw I passed a rope and put a dog chain upon him and made him occupy the kennels with the dogs. Literally think about the viciousness of Nineveh. So God called Jonah. He said to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them that my mercy has run out. In 40 days, I will destroy the city. How many of you now understand why Jonah would rather be eaten by a whale than go to Nineveh and gave him such, give him such great news? Because he's fearful for his life. But that's not the reason why he went the other way, you'll discover. So he went to Nineveh. And in the town square, he declared that in 40 days, the God of the heavens are going to destroy this city because of your wickedness on this earth. Then he climbs a mountain. And the Bible says, supernaturally, in blustering heat, a fig tree grew over his head as protection against the sun. I bet so many of you going to Disney would love to have that rather than the $942 bottle of water that you spray your face with, right? And he is sitting there and the question that I am looking at, I'm like, why is he sitting watching over this city? You know what comes to my mind? He can't wait to see God's judgment and God's punishment over people that's been so brutal to them. He was sitting there with a vengeful heart waiting to see God's destruction. So let me ask you this question. Who's your Nineveh? Who's your Nineveh? Are you sitting in front of your computer with your fig leaf, waiting to hear they've been in a car accident, waiting to hear that they've been to the doctor and now they're incurable. Who's your Nineveh? Because you see, the people in Nineveh took that word seriously. They fasted, they prayed, and they repented. But Jonah didn't know that. So Jonah is waiting. And then God said to Jonah, what are you doing here? And Jonah realized what was going on. Listen to his words. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. So Jonah complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. 
just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Now he is sitting with his own pride. Now he says, they're not going to believe me, but I knew you were going to do this. Oh, if we could only have the same confidence in God's goodness as Jonah. Because so many of you here today, from weekend to weekend out, when you arrive in church, you can't worship because you go like, I have done stupid things again this week. But if you understand that God's mercy always come to the aid of those who fall, but they get up. God doesn't disqualify us. He doesn't judge us when we fall and we get up. You know, when God gets impatient, when you are now deliberate and defiant about what you're going to do and you don't care, God says, be careful because my spirit will not plead with you forever. As a man, so a man will reap. And there comes a moment when God's mercy just runs out. Church, and I want to say this to you. I have seen this. I have seen how God is merciful and merciful and merciful and merciful and He warns and He warns. But when His mercy runs out, He's Judgment is so swift that you cannot even comprehend what just happened. And as I stand here today, you know, Karl Marx says this, religion is the opium of the people. But after all the freedom of no consequences, another Polish poet says this, the true opium for the people is a belief in nothingness after death. The huge solace of thinking that for our betrayals, our greed, our cowardice, our murders, we are not going to be judged. For the Bible says it's destined for us to live once, then to die, and then judgment. And I can tell you, as I'm sitting in front of you, these are very sobering words to think. Because you see, there is deep implication in this message. The deep implication is not just that you obtain a knowledge of a good God. My prayer is that you would not just obtain and be free from the inherited faith that you have and receive that God is angry and God's out to get you but that you can confidently fall and say God thank you that you are slow to anger thank you that you are compassionate and kind and that you help me get up and pivot myself forward and with your grace I'm going to get stronger with your grace I'm going to see it through that every time that condemnation come that you can look the enemy and the accuser in the eyes that says no you preaching the wrong God to me because my God is slow to anger he's rich in love he's compassionate he is merciful he is kind but the other part that I fear that we would don't want to embrace is that we think our God is not just that we think we can do whatever and live however because you see the implication is this the way that the world may only read and get to know God is through his sons and through his daughters have you ever considered where you work? You may be the only Jesus some will ever 
see. Karen, you may only be the only Jesus some will ever see. You say, Pastor P, but you know, that's God and this is me. Do you know that whatever you do to my wife and my children, you do to me? If you trash my wife and you stand in front of me and you go like, well, I trashed her. I didn't trust, trash you. I don't know what kind of good Bible I'm going to be in that moment for you. Because you touch her, you've touched me. You show goodness to her, you show goodness to me. Do you understand? That's why the Bible says, accept one another, love one another as I have loved you. For that glorifies the Father. In other words, I want to ask this again. Who is your Nineveh? Who is the people you cannot stand? Who's the people that you say, I will never? Because you've got to understand that they are the image bearers of God. And you've got to understand, if I forgive them, it glorifies the Father. If I live with patience with them, it glorifies the Father. As I forgive them, so I can be forgiven. With a measure that I love and forgive is the same measure that is measured back unto me. That's why for me at least I know I cannot afford to have small measures of grace for others. Because I know my life requires a big measure of grace from heaven. And our Nineveh should not be our places of expected wrath but it should be our places of expected redemption, healing, grace, and mercy. You say, Pastor P, you have no idea what they've done to me. Oh, you have no idea what our disgrace has done unto God. For greater love is no man to lay down his life for one another. But as we're sitting here, I want to encourage you to just place your hand on your heart. Luke chapter 6 says, you must be compassionate. Just as your father is compassionate. God, as we sit before you. I pray the prayer of David. Test us, try us, examine us, O oh God. Our hearts are deeply, deeply short-sighted and deceitful unto self. Creating us clean hearts, O oh God. Renewing us steadfast spirits. So that your grace and mercy will cover us. That we will not live in defiance. And run into your wrath and judgment of our lives. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, Father. May we not take the sideline over our Nineveh's. God, we pray that you bless those who persecute us. 
we pray that you would give us the grace of heaven towards those who've offended us and where we have been an offense father would you cover it with a love that is so enduring that it speaks of who he is in us oh god let us not be swept away by a cultural experience of the living God. May people look at us and say, you look so much like your Father in heaven. 